Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verses 30 through 32. Listen now for the word of God. All tithes from the land, whether the seed from the ground or from fruit of the tree, are the Lord's. They are holy to the Lord. And if persons wish to redeem any of their tithes, they must add one-fifth to them. All tithes of herd and flock, every tenth, one that passes under the shepherd's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage of scripture is so interesting. I feel the need. What? Who am I? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting with prayer first. We're getting, we'll get there. I feel, I'm Jarell. Hi. Uh, and we're going to pray. Um, one of the things I've been doing recently is making everyone sing prayer, um, which has been really fun for like people that don't know the song. But I will be singing one of my favorite verses from my least favorite hymn, Amazing Grace. It is the, the verse that talks about what the Lord has promised us. Um, feel free to close your eyes. I will sing to you. You do not have to participate. Let us pray. The Lord has promised good to me. God's word in my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be. As long as life endures. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for being our shield and our comfort. We thank you for the blessings that you pour out for your word, for your son, for this space. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, yes, hi, my name is Jarrell. I am the Church Start Resident at Urban Village Church, which is a really fancy title that really just means I'm here to learn how to start new faith communities like Urban Village Church. So uh, that means that sometimes, most of the time, I'm over at um, UVC Andersonville, but every now and then I get the special treat of going to other locations, which is really fun and exciting because although it's all one church, y'all are real different. Y'all may not know this, but Hyde Park Woodlawn is very different than UVC Andersonville. And UVC Andersonville is very different than Wicker Park, and South Loop is in its own little world, thanks be to God. And I am so excited to be with you this morning and to wrestle with everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Y'all are laughing like it's not true. Leviticus is so fun. There aren't very many books of the Bible that like 
tell you how to count your children accurately or how to kill them if they're disobedient. There aren't very many books of the Bible that like tell women what to do when they're on their period or what men need to do if their wives aren't bearing babies. There aren't very many books of the Bible that talk about bacon. And so I'm very thankful for the book of Leviticus. As I was complaining about preaching this text this week, I sent out this tweet. Whoever picked this portion of scripture for us to read on Sunday needs to be punished. And lead pastor Chris Kuhn follows me on Twitter and replies, you need to learn to love Leviticus. (laughs) And so we're all going to learn to love Leviticus together. Amen? Um, let's start with a story. I love stories. Do y'all like stories? So earlier this week, as is my custom, I started playing my podcast. I listen to NPR because I am an inspiring talk show host, and I love their soothing voices. Hello, welcome to NPR. We're so glad you're here. This broadcast has been brought to you by listeners like you and by such and such foundation. Thank you for listening. And so as I listened to NPR, they had a special guest. His name was Chris Gethard. And Chris Gethard was talking about his comedy show. Sorry, I can't do the NPR voice that long. I was talking about one of his comedy shows. And the host of Fresh Air, which I listened to on NPR, asked him a question. You tell really dark depressing jokes, and people laugh at them. What gave you the desire or the idea to talk about depression and suicide, things that most people don't talk about, and things that people that are related to you, people that are your close friends would find deeply disturbing? Why would you share something like this publicly week after week and then make money off of it? And his response was really interesting to me. He said, I was driving through the country with one of my friends, and we had just got off of a comedy show, show, and I had told my first joke, and I was really nervous about it, my first joke about depression and suicide. And my friend turned to me and said, why would you be nervous about you? That's your thing. Like all of those other jokes you think are funny aren't funny. This was hilarious, and it pointed to something deeper. You give people the freedom to laugh about their own pain. And in thinking about this, I'm thinking about like what it is to be a minister. These are things that float in my head as a person going into ministry. One of the um, authors we were supposed to read in seminary, I say supposed to because it was assigned, and I didn't say we read because someone didn't read it, that someone being me. But I did read one chapter of this book, and it talked about how (laughs) ministers are supposed to be these broken symbols. And broken symbol is like not the most ideal or sexy term used to describe a position, but it's really a great idea. It's this idea that we aren't supposed to be perfect, but we're supposed to point to the goal that people are reaching. Kind of like the giver holds all of the memories for people in this fictional world and helps people navigate the difficulties that are coming up ahead. They give people the ability 
to wrestle with pain and grief, much like this comedian did. And so when thinking about Leviticus and learning to love Leviticus, learning to make sense of the strange math problem that is in Scripture, I'm wondering if maybe Leviticus was laid out for us so that we could learn to wrestle with pain and grief. Or maybe Leviticus is laid out for us to lay out a new way of living. Maybe Leviticus is a broken symbol that's supposed to point us in the way that we should go. Paul talks about the law uh, as something that was given to show us what sin is. This is the goal. Y'all don't meet the standard. And all of us have this kind of language, narrative, undergirding our Christian faith. It's the mark, and we have missed it. It's sin. But I think that maybe Leviticus is painting a picture of a way that the world should be. Not necessarily a world without bacon, but a world where people are more mindful of the things they eat and what they put into their bodies. Maybe Leviticus isn't really, the purpose isn't to just tell us not to eat calves boiled in their mother's milk, but it's supposed to say, don't treat your body so poorly that you aren't caring about what you put in it. Maybe it's not supposed to be like, all right, women, it's that time. Go out into the outer reaches of town for a week, and then after you're done with your period, you can come back into society. But maybe Leviticus is saying, hey, I understand that you're in a difficult position right now. Maybe you should avoid dealing with difficult people and go treat yourself. Treat Yourself 2011 was predated by Leviticus. But I also think, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but I also think that Leviticus is meant to set us apart. Much of the world operates in a way that we're familiar with. You work super hard, earn all you can, and then you take care of you. Buy all of the things that you want, all of the things that you think you need, Go everywhere you think you should go. Go all over the place. Spend your money the way you want to because you earned it. It is all for you because of what you do. You acquire it, therefore party it up. And it doesn't matter who you have to step on to get there. In fact, the more people underneath you, the better. This is the way that the world works. But Leviticus tells us of different ways that the world works. You do work really, really hard. You do sometimes have people that are under you, sometimes people that you stepped on to get where you are. But make sure that you take care of them. See, after this passage of Scripture, Leviticus goes on to talk about how everything you earn, you're supposed to leave just a little bit on the outside for people who can't earn as much as you. You're not just supposed to step on people. You're supposed to make sure that they aren't hurt when you do it. And you aren't supposed to just, like, feed yourself. You're supposed to make sure that your neighbor has food, too. Leviticus has a lot of really strange rules, but it also has rules set up so that everyone gets taken care of. That's something worth loving, I think. 
That can help me love Leviticus. Are y'all feeling a little bit more in love with it? No? No? It's all right. We'll get there. And then Leviticus is talking about tithing, which is really interesting because we use Paul in a very interesting way. Paul the Apostle, he wrote a few books here and there. Um, And Paul tells us, like, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And we really like to focus on that all things are lawful part. And so then we think we can just throw Leviticus right on out the door. But for some reason, churches keep coming back past the bacon, keep coming back to tithing. And tithing is interesting because it's one of the few things about Leviticus that everyone is willing to agree on. It doesn't matter if you're a super liberal Christian or a super conservative one. They will all agree that people in the pews need to give up some money. (laughs) Nothing like money to bring us together. Uh, And I wonder about that. Not just because I'm like, oh, well, at least greed holds us together, but also wonder about maybe there's something underlying that is important about tithing. Tithing specifically. Like we have in Levitical law the rules that talk about how to treat the poor, how to treat immigrants, and how to make sure that they're taken care of, but tithing is something different. This is produce, literally, actual food, given to the religious leaders, 10%, which sounds like a lot because if everybody is giving 10%, that's a lot of food that's going to be sitting at the temple. What does the temple do with it? Well, obviously, like, rabbis need to eat. Um, And so that goes to them, but they're not going to eat 10% of everybody's herds. They're not going to eat 10% of everybody's fruit, of everyone's wheat. Like, there's not... It's not possible. So what happens with the rest of it is really interesting. They have to divvy it out and give it to other people. So when your little bit of land that you leave aside for immigrants, the land that you leave aside for the poor, doesn't manage to feed them, the 10% that you give then ends up being given out to meet other people's needs. Are you tracking with me? So the little bit that you put aside isn't really enough, but then the other bit that you put aside, added together, supplements the other bit that you've given, and then together, the gifts that everyone gives meets everybody's needs. God lays this out in Leviticus. Thousands of years before we have theories about invisible hands and trickle-down wealth, I'm still waiting on my trickle. I don't know about y'all, but Lord, let the wealth trickle over these student loans in Jesus' name. (laughs) I came to the right place this morning. (laughs) In tithing, though we've had this idea for thousands of years, we've boxed it up a little bit differently. Everybody's heard a way to do it. This is a gift-giving Bless us with your gifts, church. Everyone heard the gift? It's just giving a gift to the church? Or we're giving back what God has already given us. We're just so blessed. We're just going to hand that back to God. But I think the best way of setting up this really ancient idea is a recentering. Because we spend so much time in this way that the world does things. 
and we strive to do the things that God tells us to do. We strive to be more loving and patient, peaceful, kind, good, faithful, and filled with self-control, but we also live in a world that tells us not to exhibit self-control, not to be loving or patient, but to tell people off when they piss us off. That tells us that whenever we desire something, we should just go out and get it. It makes it really instant. Like if you even Google search for something, Facebook will show you where you can buy it most quickly. Has that happened to y'all? So I was, I was searching for toothbrushes in bulk. Now, how often does somebody buy 100 toothbrushes? Never, but I needed them because we were going to do a toothbrush handout at UBC Andersonville. So I went searching, got on eBay, ordered some toothbrushes. Tell me why Facebook is still telling me where I can go to get 250 toothbrushes for the price of $40. It's amazing that the world has now been catered so that anything we want, we can get, and we can get quickly. Amazon Prime now delivers in one hour. One hour. Y'all remember the days where you would order something online and be like, okay, I'll see you next month. <laughs> and now it was like, I remember like two-day shipping was the most amazing thing. I had to get Amazon Prime to get my two-day. Now I can get it in two hours. And I imagine soon it'll be delivered in two seconds. Uh, the world is moving to a place where our self-centeredness can be met at any rate. But tithing forces us to recenter. The world tells us that we are the center. This is us. And everything outside of us exists for one purpose and one purpose alone, to meet our needs. Tithing says something different, though. It says that you exist, and you are not the center. But everyone wants to be the center. Tithing says that we exist out here, and other people exist out here with us. And the goal isn't to get into the center, but rather to latch on to each other and make sure that each other's needs are met. Tithing takes the focus off of us and puts it onto our neighbor. And our neighbor, then, has to take their focus off of themselves and look around and see if there is someone else in need who else needs to be centered. It's kind of like ring around the rosy. Everyone's got to grab each other's hands. And when we all fall down, we all fall down together. When we all get up, we all get up together. We all have to learn to watch each other's backs. Tithing is an act that is holy because it draws us out of ourselves and into a space where God uses us. Us trying to meet the needs of the world doesn't work. The little bit that we leave off, the one dollar that we give to the homeless person, 
the one time we make it to the protest, the little bit that we're able to do, alone is nothing. Tithing tells us that when our resources are pooled together, things can change. Then why do we have so much anxiety about it? Now, I don't know about y'all, so I'm just going to talk about me and my anxiety about money. I don't like talking about money. And so... I'm full honesty, confession here. Emily asked me to preach here months ago before I was informed that this would be a sermon about money. I was like, oh, go down to Hyde Park Woodlawn? Sure, I love those people. Let's go right on over. And then I get closer to it, and I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a stewardship campaign going on. Well, good thing I'm at the end of the month. We're going to miss out on this, and I'll get to talk about healing and wholeness or something else, and it'll be great and fun. And then I looked at the day, and oh, Lord, lo and behold, I get to talk about money. And so I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, let this cup pass from me. Where does the anxiety and fear about money come from? I think it comes from us not focusing on who we are. And bear with me. A lot of us think, I think, that being the center is who I am. That's not true. I'm not the center. The center of the table in Christian tradition has always been the bread. We always put the bread in the middle for a reason, to remind us that Jesus Christ, not us, is the center. Then who does that make us? We are the people outside of the center, first of all, but we're the people that need feeding. And I think our anxiety about money, at least my anxiety about money, is that I forget that I'm a person that needs feeding. The idea taught to us in the world is that if we earn enough, if we save up enough, we won't be in need. If you have enough money, you won't need to worry about safety. You can buy a security team. You don't need to worry about housing. You can buy a bigger house. You don't need to worry about transportation. You don't need to struggle on the CTA. Lord knows it's always late. You don't need to worry about things because you've got enough. But this table reminds us of the reality that no matter how much we have, no matter how much we save, we still need to be fed. We're still not the center. We're still not the source. We still don't have enough. Where the world tells us that we can get enough. The table tells us, the church tells us, that Jesus is enough. And we need to be fed by him. I think more anxiety of money comes 
from not remembering what we're called to do. The best thing about this table, the best thing about this meal, is that it doesn't run out. Now, physically speaking, we will run out of bread. Physically speaking, we run out every week. The bread manages to get eaten. But the meal never really ends, because it symbolizes something much larger. It symbolizes that God has come down to meet our needs. And God doesn't just do it once a week. God does it daily. It's why we pray, give us this day our daily bread. God is continually meeting our needs. And likewise, God is calling us to continually meet the needs of others. It's like a gift. A gift that keeps on giving. Oh, look, it's the original. I think sometimes I forget that I'm a gifted person. Because part of this setup in the world has to make us feel ungifted, unwanted, and unloved. The trick to getting people to buy things is to making them feel like they need them. So you have to feel that you're an outcast in order to buy into something that networks you to other people. You need to feel that you are not attractive enough So in order to buy something to make you more attractive. You need to feel unsafe to buy something that provides you with safety. Guns always increase in sale after terrorist attacks. Lord, I'm not going to make that joke. Uh, guns always increase in sale after someone uses them to kill people in mass. After the Sandy Hook massacre, they skyrocketed. After that shooting in Colorado in the movie theater, they shot right on up too. When people are afraid, they spend money. When people are insecure, they spend money. When people are sad, they spend money. They're told that they are not enough, and if they just purchase the next thing, they will have the whole inside filled up. But tithing says something different. It tells us that the whole inside can only be filled up by something that cannot be purchased. Relationship. And many things in the world try and sell us these relationships, try and put a price tag on them. I forget how much eHarmony cost because I saw it and it traumatized me and then I just had to erase it from my mind. But all of these dating websites have the entry price, you know? You can go in for free, but then if you want the, the full features, you gotta pay $9.99 or however much eHarmony costs, I don't know. But Colton's uh, introduction to what we're inclusive of made me laugh. The thing, if you're single and not looking, or if you are single and desperately searching. It made me chuckle because it was a joke, but also because it was kind of true. And because it resounds with so much of our life narrative. 
desperately seeking to fill in that hole that tells us that we're not lovable, that we are not up to par. And we're desperately seeking for something that has already been given to us. Desperately seeking for relationship when it's already been given to us. Desperately seeking to feel loved and included almost as if we want a space that's inclusive. We're desperately seeking for something that lets us go out and live our lives in a way that is different than the way the world presents life. Almost as if we're seeking a place that's relevant to our everyday lives. And we're seeking courage and strength and affirmation. Almost as if we're desperately seeking a place that's bold. Bold and inclusive and relevant. Such a place cannot exist. It can exist by ex operating as an individual, but it can exist, hypothetically, of course, if all of us got together and pulled our resources together, almost, um, I don't have a word for it, maybe if we gave up a portion of what it was we had a portion of our time, of our presence, of the love that we have inside that we don't know what to do with, of our energy, maybe even of our cash. Maybe if all of us pulled our resources together and showed up in one place with the desire to be bold and inclusive and relevant, such a space could be created. Maybe if all of us worked together, there could be an LGBT-affirming church in the city of Chicago. Maybe if all of us worked together, there would be a place so bold and inclusive that maybe it sought to be anti-racist in a city that exists largely because of how good it is at using racist structures and systems. Does such a place sound real? Does it sound imaginable? A place where all of God's children can come together and seek refuge. A place where God can meet needs and bring healing and bring hope and bring love and bring joy and bring peace and bring patience and bring kindness and bring gentleness and bring self-control in a world that seems so antithetical to these things. Maybe God gives us tithing as a gift so that God can meet our needs for these things in each other. I think the anxiety and the fear that comes from giving up money. And I said I was going to talk about me first, so this is really just for me, but it might be true for some of y'all, so I'm going to say it out loud. Is that okay? Not only is it mine, and I kind of want to hold on to it because I'm somewhat stingy, but it's a vulnerability. It's showing your cards. 
Because if I give up 10% of what I earn, and like, let's say hypothetically, I earn $100, 10% of what I earn and I throw that into the basket, then everyone can just do the math and say, oh, well, that's his 10%, multiply that by this and this, this is how much he earns. And that's kind of a vulnerability. But even more than that vulnerability, there's the idea that other people are actually going to invest in this too. And the way that the world is set up, the cardinal rule, the first step, is you learn that you're on your own. You've got your family. You can lean on them sometimes. But realistically, you are all alone. No one is trustworthy. You are here to get yours and no one else's. And so for me, the stress of giving to a faith community, I have this idea that if I give, I'll be the only person doing it and no one else is going to come on in. And I don't know if y'all have that kind of fear, but that's my anxiety, is that this vision of being bold and inclusive and relevant and being a faith community lets people in and being a faith community that's excited to go out and proclaim this good news is something that only I am participating in. But tithing calls me to reject that fear to reject that anxiety and to lean in to what God is doing. Going back to the story of Chris Gethard, the gift that he had to help people through grief was a gift that he always had. It wasn't until his community leaned into that gift too and turned it into something that brings hope in healing. I think that God calls us to give, not because God is in need, but because we are in need, in need of focus, in need of peace, in need of reminders of who we are, and in need of sharing who we are with the world. When we set aside our first fruits as something holy, we remind ourselves of who we are, we remind ourselves of who God is, and we remind ourselves of our purpose here, to be bold, inclusive, and relevant. Amen? Amen.